From somewhere deep in the cloud and the corners of the earth, this is the Killing It Podcast with a focus on helping you make sense and dollars of all things IT with your hosts, Dave Sobel, Ryan Morris, and Carl Polichuk. Welcome, everybody, to episode 148 of the Killing It podcast. This is Carl, joined today, as always, by Ryan and Dave, and an audience of thousands, well, dozens, well, dozens, a handful. Well, an audience. (laughs) An audience. (laughs) Live audience, human beings. We're not just talking to our webcams. So. Which is good fun. So thanks everyone for joining us at the live event. And of course, many of you are listening to this on the recording. All right, gents, we're going to, our warm-up question. What did your parents or what do your parents do professionally? <laughs> See, so uh, so I can say my, my father had two careers. He was uh, first an agent for the State Trade Commission enforcing consumer fairness and truth in advertising. And then he was an inspector for AAA. And he was the guy who gave that one, two, three, four, five diamond rating to various properties. And uh, uh, I, I grew up in a world where the quality of accommodations and the things that make them work well was dinnertime conversations. So I have many opinions. I had a four-star burger today. <laughs> <laughs> I want to rate everything. Exactly. Well, my, my mom was a school teacher. Uh, so she taught history. And my father worked for the NSA. And that is the National Security Agency. And officially, that is all I know about what he did. Because because he will not in any way discuss it. I have pieced (laughs) together over the years that his last roles were around uh, doing interpretation of translated communiques, generally from the Russians, uh, during the Cold War, because he retired in 93. So his height of his career was the 80s and those last few years of the early there's, 90s. There, there's, there's so many potential Hollywood screenplays in there. <laughs> he just won't tell us. And he's old school. He will not talk about it. Like he's not going to talk well, about it. Serious enough, he dies. you know, you can't. So that's, yep. so it's interesting. So my parents had multiple careers each. My dad actually uh, had a, a decent career in the military and finished, I think the last 10 years or so, he was a Russian interpreter. Nice. Uh, when, and so uh, he, he did that. And then most of his life, what he did for money was he was a mechanic who took old Volkswagens and turned them into dune buggies and other fancy things <laughs> back in the day when you, know, you would buy the uh, fiberglass kits and all that. Um, and then after he had his heart attack, uh, he couldn't do that. He had a heart attack carrying a Volkswagen engine across the garage. So um, as I'd, have goes, attack. <laughs> I'd have a heart attack carrying a Volkswagen across the garage. <laughs> he went and became uh, an enrolled agent, and uh, he and my and as did my mother, and they did taxes for many many years. And so, uh, and then after that, my mom was Not nearly as sexy as the dune buggies. <laughs> uh, my mom was a, uh, a clerk for the uh, county of Yakima, so she ran ran the computer system. She took a computer job in her sixties. So all you people wow. who say old people can't learn computers, trust me, they can. Yes, they can. Uh, See, and and my my mother was a paralegal, and uh, hence the reason why I am not a lawyer because she worked with lawyers her entire life and essentially forbade me. And I was like, but but but, and now I look back on it and I was like, why? wise. <laughs> very, very wise choice. 
Well, we want to thank our friends at Cisco for allowing us to do this. Did you know that Cisco helps managed services providers directly know about the Cisco Partner Program? Focused on helping partners combine managed services expertise and service creation with innovative Cisco technology and proven go-to-market resources. There's a program option for you. With provider pricing, MDF, and marketing resources coupled with Cisco's leading technologies, including Meraki, Duo, and Umbrella, learn more with the link that we're going to share in the show notes. Excellent. Well, the first topic today is just asking a prognostication question, which is, is shared workspace going to be the largest source of new jargon in 2022? Uh, for example, do you know what benching is, or for that matter, desking, <laughs> uh, or hot desking. Uh, there's just, there's so much stuff here. And it's like, okay, I think these shared workspaces are going to explode. I think that that is absolutely, if there's one thing I can agree with Dave on <laughs> that comes out of this, <laughs> there's a whole group of people who are never going back to their office, whether their boss wants them to or not. And so, these workspaces are going to uh, dominate uh, a great deal of the going back to something. People don't want to work at home, uh, but they don't want to work at the office either. So this is an opportunity <laughs> for them to work somewhere. Says the guy who's working in another country this week. So, I mean, look, look I love this space. And anybody who listens to Business of Tech knows that I'm constantly looking at all the different changes. And the reason I like it so much is there is not one answer. Any area that does not have one answer means that there are lots of different ways to do this and thus complexity and opportunity too. But I also think that this means that you're going to be able to do really creative, innovative things that work for you, your employees, your business, and however you want to work that might not work for everybody else. And you're going to find your own version of it. There'll be lots of crazy ones. Everyone will like to talk about the one where they put an inflatable jumping gym or something like that in the, it, just to make it a completely social space. Like they'll highlight that one extreme example. That doesn't mean everybody should look like that. I do think there's going to be this element of a shared environment that is more of a social space. And interestingly, I actually think it may also allow for socializing with other businesses. Like I think oh, we absolutely. may share that. And that's a positive, right? By the way, to have like a community of other people you work with and there'll be other businesses available to work with. Yeah, so in the end, oh yeah, there's totally going to hold me a bunch of jargon here because that's what us consultants love. <laughs> hey, and and to, to your point, Dave, uh, also for everybody listening in, trademark Dave Sobel 2022 on the Jumping Gym <laughs> Shared Office Space. Uh, if, you, if you happen to found that one, please pay Dave an honorarium. Um, the, uh, the, for all the reasons you mentioned, it's absolutely the right idea for the modern times. As with many innovations, some of the very first thinkers in these categories are equally innovative and a little bit kooky. And the fact that uh, the, the fact that we work imploded in the financial markets gives a false sense of, well, it must not have been a good idea. No, it was a fantastic idea, and it will prove to be a model for the future where we have temporary or on-demand access to the professional resources that we need while not having to be fixed into a long-term rent contract that we, we have no say over. Uh, it, the only thing wrong with WeWork was that Adam Newman was a little bit of a kook. 
but it doesn't mean he was wrong, right? Like Adam had the correct idea, just the improper financial execution. But if you look inside the story, what you will see is tactically and logistically exactly the correct opinion, right? It wasn't, it wasn't what, the, what the reasons were that it fell apart. It is the correct idea. A really high-speed bandwidth connection, a professional conference room, access to facilities and resources when you need them, and as you say, Dave, access to other professionals, that is the modern interpretation. I don't know of a new business startup in today's information industries that would ever need to possess its own office real estate. It, it's just, it's not a wise investment for exactly the same reason that I can't think of an information industry business that I would advise to buy physical server storage network hardware and have their own data center. Put that stuff in the cloud. The physical interpretation of this is use somebody else's office space when you need it. But Carl, to your original point, oh, the jargon is delicious on this exactly. one. And only because I just want to borrow your conference room for a couple of hours doesn't sound innovative enough to charge a lot for. Well, and the one thing I will tell you that I'm going to push back on, right, is, is I think at so certain sizes and certain styles, they'll want some. Like, and I'll, I'll think of a Salesforce, for example. So Salesforce, who has gleaming towers all over the world, right, they're big enough and they're going to want to pull people together and pull customers together on time. That having space probably economically makes sense. I think what they're doing around training facilities, building, like they're going to build out ranches and uh, getaways and creative space, that will be another part of it. And by the way, it may also be in cool cities. I wouldn't necessarily mind going to San Francisco for a creative brainstorming event, you know, like kind of thing like, I like San Francisco, cool city, right? Like, so she used this to combine things. I think there'll be styles of businesses that own it. And then the rest that are smaller will use it, will use other people's. And maybe there'll be a business, I don't know, Amazon seems like the kind of people that are in the business of making their uh, assets into revenue streams this way. You know, that's where you see the idea of like, just like you rent us the cloud server kind of thing, you'll rent these spaces. And it could be from other businesses not just co-dedicated co-working businesses. Well, and so a friend of mine, uh, he's in marketing PR and their company sent everybody home March, 2020. And then in the meantime, their lease ran out in the ridiculously expensive Wells Fargo building downtown, uh, the most expensive office building in Sacramento. And so they needed to have an office. They have to have a place to bring in clients, do presentations, you know, have meetings. But they basically said, work from home until we get a new office. When they built the new office, it has enough room for, I think, 20% of their employees. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the idea is you will work from home, but we expect you to show up at the office once or twice a month. So we remember what your face looks like. We can build a little culture. If you need to make a presentation, there'll be rooms for that. And I told him, I want to go see this. And he goes, one of the things you probably don't expect I will have a locker for the first time since I was in high school <laughs> because, you know, he doesn't want to schlep home all of the stuff from his desk, but when he goes there, he needs some things. And, you know, it's one thing to bring in your laptop. It's another thing to bring in all the crap on your desk. So uh, anyway, uh, it'll be interesting to see. And 
it is in one of the most expensive and prestigious buildings in town. They rebuilt the first floor of the Senator Hotel across the street from the Capitol. So it will be, you know, whatever, $30 a day to park <laughs> in order to get but to your to, office. So. But to your point, Carl, right, that's just another iteration of a shared workspace that, that says, I need the functional capability, but I absolutely do not need to commit to the entire square footage of X number of square feet per headcount by the function, not the real estate. And, and as long as you do that, if you own it, okay, whatever, right? If somebody else owns it and you sublease it from them for on-demand or, or fractional access, I'm totally good with that. And you know what? To your point, Dave, uh, whether that's for office working, for client presentations, or for other purposes, the, tra the training ranch and or executive retreat, uh, copyright Ryan Morris, I am here to, uh, well, I'm here to announce the launch of the Maui office of that. And uh, <laughs> anybody who wants to schedule going into the future, you send me an email. I'll end, it, I'll end this topic by saying the, the reason I like this so much is everything we just discussed is not technology, it's culture. That's hard, and that's why I like it. But I'm going to move us on to topic number two, and this is we're going to, we're going to pick on our friends at Datto for a moment from a particular blog post that they made, which is an information security team notice. And for those watching live, I'm going to drop it into the chat so you can see the particular one that we were talking about. We spotted this blog post, and it is an information security team notice on Atera, which theoretically is a competitor of theirs in the RMM space. And this made us pause and say, and say, are they gloating a little? Is there a pointing a finger here? Ryan, I knew in particular you you wanted to weigh in on this one. <laughs> this, this, this is the thing. Again, God bless our friends at Datto. We love you, Rob Ray, and everybody else up there. But I want to make a particular point about the dynamics of the cybersecurity space, not just those of us who sell the protective and preventative uh, assets, but those who are our counterparts and adversaries. Um, the personality over there is one that is especially sensitive to being challenged and or taunted in public. Uh, if you ever need an example of this, you just look at the guy who founded, you know, I won't go into his individual in information, put his uh, social security on this number on the side of a bus and drove it around major American cities and said, I'm so confident in my software, I can, uh, I can give you my number, you can never identity theft me. Dot, dot, dot. He got identity thieved and, and it proved the point. Um, this is a, an incredibly sophomoric and dangerous tactic. Do not taunt your adversaries because they will stay up late at night with much Dr. Pepper trying to prove you wrong. I'm much more secure than mine. Uh, we've all seen it and we all agree at a professional level that our supply chain counterparts, the vendors whose tools we use, and, and the technology that we use to run our managed service practices, their security is by definition our security. And it is our responsibility to audit up the value chain and make sure that we are using tools that can be trusted for the services that we provide. When those services are not secure, we've all read those headlines from several months ago. I, I believe it is our responsibility to echo up the value chain here a little bit and remind our friends in, in the tools department, let, let's not invite the anger or the ire of the, the trial. Well, uh, so it's also the case, you know, you just got to wait. Your turn is coming. 
I mean, anybody in this space, especially in security, who says, oh, look at those guys got hacked and, and somebody broke into solar winds and, you know, like, sorry, it's, it's just not your turn yet, but your turn so is gonna, coming. <laughs> I'm going to weigh in with a bit of a counterpoint. Okay, because because what I because I actually want to want to think, think about the difference between security professionals having conversations about disclosures versus the marketing messages and where they might blur. I actually want to think that I think Datto has done a really nice job of building an information security uh, organization and being communicative about their stance and their positioning when I view them through a security professional lens. If I'm thinking about their just their way they're approaching that, I'll go, yep, I actually think that team is do, does a very nice, good job. And I will go so far as to saying I actually want all of them to be more communicative. So for example, if a Datto is saying, hey, we noted this in another product, even if it's a competitor, I think that space needs to have as much as possible. But where I thought, think that I'm going to actually point here and say, like, I wanted to take a bit of a generous view on this and say, I think where this went wrong for me was it's mixed in in a corporate marketing blog is where I where it shows up. And it's like, well, wait a second. That's a different set of messaging because when I go through the Dato MSP blog, it's a lot of very salesy, marketing y type stuff uh, that come that is like, well, what is an on site backup? What is an off site? What is data protection? And you read that stuff and you're like, okay, wait a second. That's marketing. That's a different style of messaging. And I don't necessarily think the two should mix for exactly the reason of, I want the security professionals to be really transparent, but it muddies when it becomes marketing. I almost wonder if the, the security people at Datto didn't know that the marketing people were posting this. Because the, the note is, it, it looks like they're saying, hey, you know, security alert to all of our MSP buddies, uh, you know, there's this problem with the Terra. There isn't really a problem, oh, right? Because 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 for me, the other thing about it is is like that blog doesn't list every security issue that CISA has notified me of in the past week. So they've made the choice to put this one on the corporate blog, and that's where it's like, well, now I'm feeling a little weird because you know, right below it is log for shell, which I think is probably a little different. And by the way, as a guy who reads all the CISA announcements, there were some critical ones that were also in there about like Ukrainian attacks and, and other things that make a level of rather large noise that didn't meet it. And thus, again, I think this is, this is an element of like, it just feels like marketing versus the security professionalism. And this is where the trouble begins. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing, right? My, the reason for my reaction to this is what I will label as the, the concept of digital tone, right? Everybody in marketing and sales understands that what you say is interesting. How you say it is absolutely critical. Because if I said, you know, there are a number of security threats and vulnerabilities in products around and you need to pay attention to that, Grown up, professional, that's perfectly fine. If I go, neener, neener, ha, ha, those guys got hacked, that's not the same thing. This is the equivalent to digital tone. If you put it on your security blog as a notification, cool, thank you, actionable information. If you put it on your marketing blog as a reason to choose me instead of the other guy, uh, 
that's where you're going to get well, it. Or when you, or if you mix the two. And that's the problem here is, is that now you've got a source that is this mixed set of messages of all things. And I get it. Maybe you're tagging them different, but like, that's, that's not how this works. <laughs> it right. just doesn't come across particularly well. Well, and it's also the case that uh, the more attention you pay to your competition, the less attention you're paying to your clients. And so I, I've never been in favor of people spending all their time talking about their competition, right? I, I remember one of my favorite campaigns of all time, uh, somebody was running for state Senate and the competition came out and said, this guy's an idiot. This guy, Tim Leslie, he's the biggest moron in the history of the world. Earth to Tim Leslie. And then they had some examples, Earth to Tim Leslie. And they would have another example, Earth to Tim Leslie. Guess who won? The guy with the only the, guy whose name that you could recognize. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, you know, and, and by the way, the, the takeaway here is that um, most of the, most of our direct audience, people that are delivering IT services, look, you're going to probably be dealing with a way larger number of breaches than any of the product companies that we're picking on here. Your competitor is probably going to get breached. You're probably going to get breached. You are going to get breached. They are going to get breached. We say it over and over again, right? Yeah. So, so treat everybody with a lot of grace on this because in the end, that will end up being a better play. Oh, and by the way, I have data point after data point that all the quote unquote reputational damage is BS anyway. So, so they're not going to remember six months, a year or that kind of thing at the same level they're going to remember who handled things with grace for the same reason that they're going to remember how you respond. Precisely. Tone makes a humongous difference. But now we're going to move on to our third topic here. And this third topic, you know, those of us who do predictions for a living, um, uh, sometimes <laughs> we are correct. That, that, this is why we continue to do this stuff, because it's fun to be right and tell everybody you're right. Sometimes we're not correct. And uh, our friend Carl Palachek made a, made a prognostication recently or a while ago where, uh, where he said, I will bet you a dollar that there will be driverless cars because Carl, of the three of us, is the only one who's actually physically been inside of a driverless car in the real world. And he said, this was awesome. It's going to happen. Dot, dot, dot. It hasn't happened yet, as with many <laughs> other cutting-edge technologies. Uh, so the topic here is, uh, of all these things that we've been talking about over the last couple of years as to world is going to change with technology, which ones are actually working and which ones are you, in January of 2022, willing to make a bet in public on that they will happen? Yeah, Carl, so I, I actually have a bet with my daughter that in five years, and this is year five, driverless cars will be everywhere. And well, yeah. testing of driverless cars is widespread. I have to admit, later this year, I will lose this bet and I will have to give my daughter a dollar. Uh, and it's interesting because she's now 30 and it's like... She should be far more optimistic about all this technology than I am. <laughs> um, but, you know, 2017, I believed firmly and absolutely that in five years, th they would be everywhere. And I think what's interesting is the technology is less of a problem than the government and the regulations and the safety and the people's belief systems. And the pandemic didn't help, but... Pandemics aside, 
I lost the bet. Um, but I also lost the bet. We still haven't, need, none of us on this show has received a pizza or a burrito delivered by a robot. I am so drone. close. The robots end the delivery zone <laughs> like a mile and a half from my house. I Not am my so problem. close. <laughs> and it counts if you get a robot or a drone in uh, in Panama to deliver a burrito. It would, doesn't matter where you where it the delivery happens. Only that it happens. Now, Carl. Again, this this is the thing. In 2017, I remember having the conversation with others about a certain upcoming generation that. Eh, they don't need a driver's license because driving will be such a quaint thing of the past. Five years on, that didn't happen. Now, again, if you look at why, it's not for technology innovation purposes. It is for real world implementation purposes, which is the ugly part that all of us prognosticators have to filter our grand predictions through. We're, we're living with one of these right now. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, we're recording this on January 19th, which is a day that will live in infamy, right? Probably because um, this is the day that AT&T and Verizon are turning on the mid-band 5G spectrum, and you're going to get 10 times faster speed. I have firmly been a believer that 5G was going to take over the world, change absolutely everything. And I've been underwhelmed by the roll process, not because the technology isn't cool, because when you can get it, it's phenomenal. It's that there are people in government and industry and, and, and other things that just can't get the story straight. And these projections have not come to fruition yet. Um, I, I think there are many other things that we have predicted. And, and we've recently pointed to an article from Fast Company that was doing a market sizing, a total addressable market on the financial performance of various cutting edge technologies, all of which are very sobering in terms of just how rapidly or not we are bringing transformative technology to the marketplace. I, I was with you, Carl, in 2017. My, 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 the, the, the one that I think I'm right on, and I've screwed up the, the timeline so badly on this, <laughs> continues to be voice. Um, I'm, I am convinced voice is a UI. I am convinced ambient computing is a thing. Uh, I am so completely wrong on the time frame. <laughs> uh, I thought this would mature faster than it did. I thought there would be much more adoption. I just recently talked about some, some Alexa uh, uptake numbers that show like people use timers and music and really not much else uh, when it comes to most of those devices. Now, Alexa isn't smart enough. It doesn't do enough follow-ups. It doesn't like, there's lots of reasons on this. Uh, oh, and by the way, it doesn't talk to all of the things natively, and but blah, 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 blah. That means the prediction has not come true. However, I still- there. Right. This is where I think I am right on the prediction. I am completely wrong on the timetable. It just is going to take way longer <laughs> than I thought for this to be ambient computing, but I can see all of the pieces and I can also see the use cases. And so because of that, it's just a matter of time. This is where like my, my again, my direct counsel for, for listeners here is, is like, look, analysts like us like to spend a lot of time with the fun ideas. The idea exploration is, is the point more than the pure prediction. The analysis is what you care about more than whether or not we're right or wrong, although it is fun to be right. <laughs> it's, 
But you mentioned the, uh, in a private email after my State of the Nation address, it's good to keep score and uh, point out when you were right and when you were wrong and sort of be honest about that. But I would say yes and do it once a year. <laughs> you don't have to point yes. out all those times you were wrong all the time. Just do it once a year. I will say one of my favorite quotes, you all know this, of all time is William Gibson says the future is already here. It's just not widely distributed. Uh, that was true in 2017, 2018. And I think part of it is those of us who do a little bit of futurism are more aware of what's coming than a lot of other people. There are still people who say there will never be a driverless car. I'm like, no, you know, shut up. And <laughs> but but there's also people who said, you know, a car will never go over 50 miles an hour because your head will explode or, you know, that kind of crap. So some of this is we're more aware of the future, but it's also the case that, you know, we actually last week talked about how all the, the technology that's going to exist in the next five years already exists. We're just not aware of it. And, and so we're, we're continuing to move that way. And I think we need things to cause these, these technologies to emerge and, and mature. And the pandemic has caused several of them, you know, like QR code, I, you know, that's like a 12 year old thing that nobody has used in 12 years until the pandemic. Um, and now we're finding, oh, so I know how to use it. Everybody now knows how to use it because they, they need to get a, <laughs> a menu at a restaurant. But some well, of the implementations it, suck so loud that, you know. It's, it, it's interesting you bring up QR codes because that's a technology that was that I read in an article right around 18, I think, that said, oh, this is a failure. No one uses it. You should not use it in your marketing. And it's like, okay, uh, how about how about that one, QR it predictor? It, like, it lacked a killer app, which is well, right, the and, restaurant menu. And that's the thing. <laughs> right. I, also, I also remember a, an, an analysis of Amazon's annual earnings back in 2008, where the headline was, you know, e-commerce, that was a good idea, but it's never going to compete with brick and mortar. Oh, cool! You were uh, you were not correct on that headline. Um, the the reality is, I think that the prediction of the future, you know, you get what you measure, right? They, in the physical world and in the engineering space, what you measure becomes real. That's why this is valuable, and we will stretch our thinking. Now we just need MSPs to go out there and implement all of this cool technology. I joined a, a networking group in 2010 where they forbid people to hand out business cards at the networking group and everybody had a QR code on their name tag. And, you know, nobody stopped printing their business cards. I'm just saying. So <laughs> sadly, that's three topics and the end of episode 148 of the Killing It, Killing it. podcast. Thanks for tuning in to the Killing It podcast. Please share with your friends and tell everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the podcast places. Join us next week and help us keep killing it in the technology business.